You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Dan Burke of Illusion of Safety. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Doing all right. Excited to talk about the storied history of your project. It's it's pretty storied. 40 stories. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. uh, Dan has been a much requested guest since the beginning of noise extra and we've talked with many people that dan has worked with of course jim o'rourke being one of the main ones so we are excited today to finally have you with us and thank you man we're talking 83 the beginnings am i am i right on that that's right 83 was the first first actual show it started a little earlier. Actually, it's things kind of started in L.A. My friend Jay Klosser, uh, who I knew in high school here, moved out there with his parents. And I went out there to visit him probably 1981, 80. And he shows me Throbbing Gristle, Cabaret Voltaire, Los Angeles Free Music Society, The Residence, and Altered My Orbit. And uh, he, a little bit later than that, was in a project with Ray, Raymond Ray, Ray Senna. They were at Sherpa. Do you know? I mean, I mean, that's a lot. That's 1980. That's 81. Uh, but they were on. They were in Orange County. Uh, Sherpa. They have their own Facebook page, so they're they're still active. I mean, not as musicians, but uh, some of them are still alive. Um, you know, uh, they had a project, a band called Action Direct Faction, and they asked me to join. So I did a couple shows with them. They they were really intense. Ray at the time was in a. He had an accident. He was in a neck brace. And they sounded sort of like the best throbbing gristle second annual report meets White House. That's where they were at. Some really small effects, heavy, heavy sound, long duration, really searing. And Ray with this with this neck brace uh, doing some pretty menacing vocals. And uh, that that was kind of kind of my start. Jay, like, got me in in that direction. Uh, And so that was that was obviously earlier because then I came back. Uh, in '81, when he he had moved to the Bay Area, no, he was still in LA. We went, we we saw Throbbing Gristle's last show there, at uh, second to the last show in, in LA, and then decided they're playing a week later in San Francisco. We looked at each other, we're like, let's get on a bus and go, and we went. We saw that show too. We we got there at like six in the morning and walked over to Minna Street to Ralph Records and hung out there. And a guy was coming in the door. He's like, "What are you guys doing?" We're like, you know, we're we're residence fans. We're just checking it out. And he's like, come on in. And we spent about an hour and a half there. He was showing us all the Ralph Records videos. We were sitting next to the little props and saw their studio way in the background. Wow. And uh, that was quite a, he gave us a bunch of buttons and posters. I mean, we were really into Tuxedo Moon at the time and Chrome. And uh, so that was a trip. And then we went over to Kazar Pavilion and one guy, one guy was in there laying down the mats. He's like, what are you guys doing? We're like, we're here for Throbbing Gristle. You know, we're eight hours early. And he's like, you want to help? So we like helped lay down the mats and put the PA on the stage, and and we were there the whole time. We went out for we went out to get something to eat, and when we got when we went out, TG had arrived. We got back, and you know, Target Video was there. We should be in that video. They were stepping all over us. We were on the stage, but we're not in that in that video anywhere. Mission of Dead Souls. Um, that was kind of my start. Wow. Uh, Jay turning me on to Throbbing Gristle and and seeing them. That really, really pumped me up to do this work with this kind of sound and these kind of ideas and images. And it was pretty. Wow. Was the question? 
<laughs> it was pretty quickly <laughs> after seeing that show that you you started working on Illusion of Safety or, or conceptualized and, and started doing that, yeah? Yeah. Right after that show, we started making music together. So me with Jay in, in L.A. for that three months I was there with Ray in Action Direct. And uh, then when I came back here with Mitch Enderley, uh, longtime friend, he was he and I were of the same ilk. We liked the industrial stuff, Throbbing Gristle. And we started working together, uh, calling ourselves Psychotic Dub. There's some pre-Illusion of Safety tapes out there that, that are pretty embarrassing. But I have unearthed the archive. There's probably a couple hundred tapes, and a lot of them are 83, 84, and they're sounding really good. Like so, There's one with me, Mitch, and Jay. That's got to be a record. I'm I'm holding back on that one. It's it's pretty heavy. It sounds really good. Um, but Mitch and I were working together. He became you guys might know the Dead Tech cassette. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yes, on complacency. It's a it's a great one. People have been asking him to put that out for years. He's just kind of feeling like let the past be the past. He's been working on new stuff. I keep encouraging him. Let's record it. Let's get it out there. <laughs> um, and that might or might not happen. We'll see. I'd love to see the dead tech alive. It, it's it's really great material. But we we worked together initially, me, Mitch and I. But then I hooked up with uh, Tim Jones uh, from Cheer Accident. At the time, he was in a band called Dot Dot Dot. Him, Ross, and uh, Chris Block and Jeff Beck were in this kind of uh, improv post jazz experimental group. Dot Dot Dot, and they played with Jay and I once in the back of a, a bar. And then we did a couple of things together and then we did the first two. So Illusion of Safety was, it was my collaboration with, with them. First use of the name. We played a show at uh, uh, the WPA gallery and then the Cubby Bear, Cubby Bear in February of 84. And a bunch of that Cubby Bear material is coming out as bonus material on the box set, the 10 cassette box set that's coming out and some of the, some of the bonus material for the subscriber exclusives on Bandcamp. So that, that's actually, that show actually sounds really good. It's kind of surprising to go back and listen to that and hear what those guys sounding a little like where our, or Mitch and I's heads were at with the industrial stuff. Um, but that was actually the beginning of the use of the name. And then Mitch and I, and then, then the band kind of went back to me and Mitch with two new guys, Mark Klein and Mark Sorensen. And we became what I call the main core of the group because we were, we were really into the industrial thing. Uh, dot 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 morphed into cheer accident and they started doing their own stuff and uh, and and we the main core was like responsible for like a lot of those early cassettes and the uh, more violence geography our first record um cancer uh, by that time jim jim was involved um cancer is actually quite good it was really great going back through the archives listening to this old stuff Cancer, I kind of wrote off because I stupidly at the time made the CD like 27 indexes for some, you know, <laughs> I just like to fuck with people. I like to poke, you know, that's part of what I do uh, or have done trying to get over that. But anyway, yeah, it was really a dumb move because going back and putting Cancer together for Bandcamp, it's actually seven tracks that make a lot of sense. They're really good. They're very, really dark. It's like Oven Thoughts, like really dark, ambient, you know, post-industrial material. It's quite surprising surprising really great going back was, over that, that stuff one, but that, that that was the main core yeah, that one's uh, great that that time you know that one cancer yeah it's oh, yeah. a great one we've oh, listened yeah. to that several times yeah, this absolutely, week and absolutely absolutely one of the classics of and so you were were you living out in the on the west coast and then moved back to chicago when you when nope, you guys I've always been from or were you just visiting 
visiting. Yeah, I'm from Chicago. I was born in Chicago. I've lived here my whole life. I actually visited Jay out there a couple times, and then there was a short period where I thought I might live out there. Uh, moved out there. That was around the time I worked with Action Direct. That was 80, 81, I guess, 82. So I was there for a short time, but that was just visiting. That first loved visit's it, though. a hell I of a visit. I always loved the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, changed my life for sure. But may, I don't know. Maybe for the best that I that I didn't stay. I don't know. Who knows? You know, just no regrets. Life moves on. So you start the label complacency early on. Was that, did you just, did you always have the idea that you were going to run a label or was it out of necessity? You just saw how TG did things. You saw how White House did things. You start your own label. You start putting stuff out. Was that sort of the inspiration? At the time I was working with Tim then, and we decided to do that. We we wanted an outlet for our music, for, for complacency, for cheer accident and illusion of safety. Uh, we didn't really envision releasing other people's music, but eventually we did. We did a Nightmare Sinistra Torse and La Sonorita Juan and uh, a couple couple other things outside of the, the Jim O'Rourke, Eddie Prevost, uh, an Organum. I did an Organum, thanks to mm-hmm. Jim's connection. Um, but we really we really just did that to release our own music but we you know we had some thoughts about taking it further but it's i'm kind of in the same position now it's i don't i don't want to run a record label or i, I want to make music i mean there's there's i want to, there's too much there's not enough time to do all that you know it's just a everybody has that problem right you want you want to sell your music it's hard to get other people to put it out and put their money and their time behind it so you do it yourself, you know, you, you do what you have to do. So, but we had fun with it. I mean, we, I mean, I, the, the idea of coming, the name was, a, you know, titles are so good. I, I like working with titles. I like playing with words, you know, complacency is a, is a really good one. Get a lot of people sing, but you don't sing very complacent, you know, irony is a big thing, right? You know, no need to, don't need to go there. You were working with a few <laughs> other labels at the time, including like Big Body Parts, Realization, We Never Sleep, Sound of Pig. But the we're talking about cancer, and the first couple CDs seem to be cancer and probe and historical, right? Which the the latter two being through Stallplot. Historical was one, and that was hooked up with Stallplot, and that was a. I actually have one for sale, and I've got the bullet, but I'm I'm not going to be shipping the 22 caliber bullet. But that that first historical edition is in that leather pouch. It's really cool. I uh, was really excited about that. That was great, hooking up with them in 92. And uh, so they did historical. Um, and then and then it was historical, inside agitator, cancer, uh, missing one. Um, and then probe. I think, I think that's the, the right order. I'm missing something. F- 15 came a little later. So Tesco, who put out Cancer, also put out that 15. And that was a kind of a compilation from uh, the cassette 15 and live material from 86. And then also Finite Material Context, which was a double cassette in a little box. It was kind of a limited edition. There were some solo pieces on that. And, and those are what, what are on that 15 CD. So there's like the first five compact discs that came out. Yeah, historical was we recorded that at ESS in Chicago. At least that first piece, that that very densely populated sample strewn decomposition piece, and that is Jim O'Rourke wailing on there. That like so, there's a lot of Metallica and Slayer samples on the riffs, but that lead stuff happening, that is Jim. I've <laughs> I have to say I've gotten some some great leads out of Jim. Uh, <laughs> they're hidden there, you know. On, on on distraction, there's a there's a piece called Hell in Your Brain Forever Since About Breakfast. Um, 
right in the middle of that CD. And that, that lead is Jim. It's really sweet. It's a piece that Chris and I did. We had the Mirages at the time. So that was our first sampler. Before that, we were using variable speed cassette decks and 7.6 second digital delays. That was our primitive sampling routine. You know, Peter Christopherson had those little cassette bank, right, with the little keys. He built his own, his own like, you know, uh, harmonium kind of thing, right? Um, um, but uh, that piece was, yeah, Jim listened to that that beat and whatever we had going on, the, the samples, and he like listened to it one time and then whipped off that lead. It's really tasty. <laughs> so but the, the slayer one is really fun i mean he that's it's 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 pretty great yeah go back and listen to that historical piece and and listen to that lead that's jim and and one time one more jim story we i asked him to open one of our shows at lower links in chicago we did a 10 minute medley of metallica on acoustic guitar really good <laughs> amazing <laughs> i know i know you want to hear it but i i don't think jim would like that so well you know we'll we'll have we'll have to uh bug him for it you know we we love jim and had a great conversation with him last year so maybe we'll uh maybe we'll nudge him and uh get it get it get a get a recording of it but so you know, like grace said you were working with you know some early tape labels early on how how were you getting in touch with people you already seem pretty connected you know you're you're already going to see tg you're working with some underground industrial bands was it were you sending out tapes? Were you getting catalogs? Was it through college radio? How were you discovering some of these other uh, underground labels, the cassette culture in the early 80s? Good question. So now I'm going to have to like, you know, get out the thinking cap to That's see if right. I mm -hmm. have any memory. You know, I, I've been checking with people who haven't been potheads for like 40 years. And, you know, even even my friends who have been straight, they their memory is worse than mine. So like, I, you know, I, it's just old age or time. We, all, you know, memory selective. I can pick out things from back then. So what I do remember is like, you know, getting involved in the cassette networking underground at the time. It was trading tapes with people. So I think uh, there was Sound Choice, the magazine Sound Choice. There was a couple of them, right? I can't think of the other one. There was two or three that were big uh, the, that, you know, cassette culture was part of. So you'd write to people and trade tapes. That's really how it started. So hooked up with uh, Paul Dickerson at We Never Sleep in, in Denver and Jeff German at uh, with Hands 2. And so then we went out there for that early tour. We went, did four shows in Colorado with, with We Never Sleep and Big Body Parts. Um, Realization, John Booth, yeah, I, I probably through Big City Orchestra, probably through DOS. Um, that part, you know, that part's all a little blurry, but it was pretty, you know, a lot of trading tapes and sending in tapes, constantly sending them into those few publications and uh, that were reviewing that kind of thing. And uh, I think Paul Dickerson reached out to us from, you know, finding our music and asked us to come out, out to Colorado. So, yeah, a lot of networking at the time, real, real personal level. What were the shows like for Illusion of Safety back in those early days? What did it, What did a set look like, sound like? What were you doing up there on that stage uh well yeah the early days are like you know there's there's all these sections of of the trajectory of involvement with people so it's quite quite different those those first couple with cheer accident i mean with dot 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 the first illusion of safety those were those were pretty sprawling because those guys were kind of jazz musicians or saxophone and jeff beck's a drummer and but they were very wide open to like you know moving into texture and sonic territory so but that was, you know, um, 
there was a lot of interested people back then. I mean, there was a trajectory of of good audiences throughout, you know, maybe the nineties and things started like, like waning, but that, you know, uh, I think a lot of, there was a lot of contributing factors to that. Um, so that, I mean, the best times I remember were those main core shows, like when it was like me and Mark and Mark and Mitch, and then, you know, some of those were with Jim and then sometimes Chris and, and Tim would come back in. So there was some really great shows where there was like six of us. Um, and a few of those where we'd get, where we'd go to silence, like that happened at least three times where we'd just be doing our cacophony and just improv and just slowly quieter and quieter till there's no sound in the room for, I swear the one time at lower ranks was probably five minutes where no one in the room said a word or moved. I mean, that, that happened a few times and it's, people are really responsive to that. I, I've been, I've been doing some singers, you know, this is another story you guys aren't interested, but I've been doing a lot of different kind of musics now, some singer songwriter stuff. And I'm really into Mark Hollis from Talk Talk, those last couple Talk Talk records. And his first solo record is kind of like Eric Satie meets post rock. It's like there's just moments of silence, real, you know, no sound at all, mm-hmm. really spare instrumentation, the barest structure of song. And, and people, I've been doing some of that. And, you know, even out here in suburbia and people, people need silence, you know, they really do. Um, so anyway, that was, that was a, some cool moments of our, of our large group improvs. And in some, some sh- cases we had 12 people on stage. We were starting to get involved, which through Jim, a lot of the improv crew in Chicago, Gene Coleman and Jeb Bishop, really great trombone player, uh, worked with, so Jim's project, Breeze Gloss, uh, those guys, some of those guys, uh, Dylan Poza, um, yeah, one time we had 12 people on stage and those were really interesting performances, like how minimal they would be, right? Without like people who really know how to listen, which is so, so good. You know, I mean, AMM. So I reminded that AMM, we saw them, Tim and I, and some of the other dot, dot, dot people in 84 in Chicago at a place called the Arts Club. I think AMM played here like five times in the United States in their 50 year history and three times in Chicago. Got to see them twice. Another like mind blowing thing. I mean, you know, 40, 50 years of improvising together, just, you know, in tune with each other. And and then reading later that they're not, they're like hating each other, you know, but still, you know, making this great thing, like by, you know, just sensitivity really is, is part of the deal with whatever tools you're working with, whatever kind of sound you're working with. Um, my, my jazz piano teacher taught me so much in that way. Like you can do anything, you can do clusters of sound and you know as long as with the right sensitivity anybody will accept it like you know anyway the amm to see them in 84 that was like right at the time so we were getting illusion of safety together and we we got and that mind-blowing to see what they did and and also you know to re to to reincorporate silence you know wanting space which you know, you know, my history of music, you're like, where is that space, Dan? I haven't heard it, right? It's, it, I mean, it's been a fight to get to this point where I can do, you know, a piece of music where there's quiet or, or actual silence in it. You know, it's, it's been an ongoing battle, but it's always been there to want that. Um, so that was pretty influential. So, we, you know, we were always trying to work with dynamics. And with the main core, with Mark, Mark and Mitch, we spent a lot of time together uh, playing and getting high and so so that the other the other part of the deal is the dot 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 guys those guys are straight lace they weren't into you know intoxication at all tim has never been intoxicated his entire life wow. and i'm a big fan of altered states and uh you know so we you know we get stoned and play music for eight hours in the warehouse you know that in, inside agitator half of that cd is 
uh, direct-to-dat recordings of us in this really large warehouse, and you can really tell. Jim works in there, and I've got some video. The video does not look good. It'll it'll end up coming up on the Illusion of Safety YouTube page. You won't see Jim in there, but um, us clanking around and all our cars in there. You can hear the car horns beeping on Inside Agitator. And so the main core, the, the four of us, we really work together like a lot. So we got in really in tune, and we were also coming from the same place, loving Throbbing Gristle, Cabaret Voltaire, Tuxedo Moon. That That stuff was really our our bread and butter. And, uh, and so we, those shows were really great. And we, we always had this sense of dynamics. We never wanted to just do this one thing, you know, for better or worse. I think a lot of people would prefer if we would have just done the one thing for 20 minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes rather than all this crazy shit for two or three minutes and then shifting. But you know, that's, that's what I do. That's what I did. It's not what I'm doing anymore. Really. I'm, I've gotten to, to know duration and, and patience. Um, thankfully. Um, finally accepted drone and working, you know, more with linear stuff. So it's, it's overdue and that's good, but you know, it is, it is what it is. And we, and we enjoyed playing, playing around with form and sound. So the, you know, there'd be the drone piece and the heavy piece and, 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 and then the light, you know, quieter atmospheric things. And, and then some beats, not enough beats. If you ask me, I mean, 40 years, you know, go back, how much, how much beat material is on there? Not, I mean, you know, I'm sure some people would say too much. <laughs> there shouldn't have been any, but uh, you know, I I I still am not working with enough groove. I you know, I mean, it's the that's the primal stuff, right? It's like music is magic and beat is magic. I, I I'm really into Ted Joya. He he's 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 a uh, educator, writes a lot of books, podcasts, and stuff. Uh, academic guy, probably a lot to take issue with, but he writes some good stuff about the future of music and read his book called healing songs. And, you know, I, at this point I want to make healing music, but also I've accepted that illusion of safety has very much been healing music. I mean, sometimes you need, you know, something that just one person sounds like absolute hell to be cathartic and to cure you. Right. I mean, it, it saved my life doing this music and I'll never give it up no matter how pretty of music I'm going to make from here on. There'll, there'll be, there'll be some serious experimentation because I love it. You know, it's, it's not about, making a certain kind of music. I just have kinds of things, sounds that want to come out of me. Looking at your YouTube, which you've brought up a couple of times, it seems like over the past year or so you've been adding stuff and there's a really, really great video of a live on the Friday club uh, performance. <laughs> it seems to be the favorite. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really good one. Can you tell us about that? Uh, how that came about and, and what that Experience. show was? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cable cable TV show in, in Evanston. So Evanston is where Northwestern University is, 89.3 FM. So long history at that university, a lot of stuff. Alan Watts, uh, <laughs> uh, me and Tim meeting each other, my radio show, 2014-16, a lot, lot around that university and that place. But I don't know how we hooked up with the Friday Club. I think we probably learned about it and then just pitched our stuff to them um, because we saw that they did live music. And you could, if you look at their faces at the end, you could see they were, they were freaked out. I mean, they were, you know, the guy was like, so we had some sound problems here. And he was talking about us, you know, um, I mean, <laughs> you, you didn't know the make of these guys, like, you know, bowing a baby doll, you know, and you know, how fucking cool is that? I mean, you know, freak out the squares. That's like, that's what it's all about. Right. I mean, I don't know about it anymore. And I'm a little afraid to do that, but you know, um, it, it at that time it was, it was great. And, and, the, and the look on their face is priceless at the end of that. And, it's it's it, you know it took me this long to finally 
Mitch lent me his uh, USB thing to digitize the VHS tapes. I mean, there's been tons of them, and that's what's coming. So monthly, there's new content coming on the YouTube, Illusion of Safety YouTube, and a lot of that stuff has never been seen unless you were at some of those shows in the late 90s. The, uh, we we finished that, like the Cattle of Ox was around. We did it a little bit, but a lot of those, like Instinct and Cattle of Ox and Thermonuclear Holy War, we finished those in a marathon session with Spark in San Francisco, we played at uh, D-Day. It was uh, Joe Matheny, Chaos uh, Media, put on a show for the 50th anniversary of LSD Discovery. Crash Worship played, Illusion of Safety. Um, uh, brought out some writer. Uh, anyway, big event, a lot of people, 1,000 people. Big. So we spent the day like putting the like finishing touches on these videos. Anyway, no one's seen them since these few live shows, and, and there's a lot more to come. I've just been holding on to them, trying to like farm it out once a month, and then I've been working on new music new videos as well so uh yeah it's fun like pulling that that old stuff up and it looks great i mean vhs i mean a lot of the source material not just the videos we made completed but the, the vhs's that are fucking up and and glitching you know it, it's beautiful it looks so warm i get really tight like i've been making a lot of these other videos and using like you know footage i'm getting you know royalty free, free footage and the problem with all that is it's all so fucking clean it's so so antiseptic looking you know it's like staged or just you know and you can't you know put a you know a filter over it or you know try and make it look it just doesn't work but you know so yeah that that video that that moment is really fun and it was really funny i was kind of surprised to see how many people that video has gotten the most plays out of any video i put up there can you tell <laughs> yeah, me why the, <laughs> it's just it's, the, well the first <laughs> thing i really know i mean watching it it's it's only like just a little over two minutes long and before the one minute mark they they really didn't seem to know what to do with it because they start rolling credits <laughs> like over mm-hmm. you guys playing and it's they like they they must have been so confused as to what was going on they're like yeah I guess that's the end of it <laughs> so well, I think there's a I, it's I, interesting I, to see all the <laughs> instrumentation and the approach where everyone's kind of switching things up and and uh-huh. like people are rotating instruments and trying different things in a very short period of time but it does really feel like they were they were just confused by it. Well, they they were, and they sure wanted us out of there. But they're a little wrong about that. I mean, that was that was really literally like we were at the end to take us out. It was like okay. kind of meant to be the end of the thing for them right. to roll the credits. You know, we had we had two other songs we did, which don't, I don't have those videos. So we, okay. it wasn't the only thing we did there. But that's the only thing existent, unless somebody comes up with it. Um, which thanks to the Wayback Machine, that that internet site, that things like the Great Library oh, of Alexandria for the internet, that is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. unbelievable. The old Illusion of Safety site, illusionofsafety.net, I mean, illusionofsafety.org, that they started extorting massive amounts of money for me because Trevor from Noisegate, who set that up for me, uh, like, didn't, like, let them own the rights to the name. And then they kept, like, extorting money from me to keep it. And I'm like, screw you. You know, I'm just I'm just going to take illusionofsafety.net and build it over. But the site looked cool. And it's there on the Wayback Machine. Mm-hmm. I've got a link to it on my uh, somewhere on one of my sites because you can get to it the flashing ios logo and the original the original look of it they're all there that those pages all exist which is so cool oh we're oh, yeah, big t- fans yeah. of the wayback machine yes tara yeah, yeah. that's tara's specialty is wayback machine now wait you I mentioned noisegate yeah you mentioned noisegate yeah. did you play with noisegate in chicago so i played with noisegate in la <laughs> the last not, time i was in la i played with noisegate because i because because I don't know. So, so <laughs> listeners, before we hit start hit recording, so I have said, and people have heard this many times, that 
I always conflate my first two noise shows. And I've always said that Illusion of Safety was one of those. Noise Gate was also one of those. And before we started recording, Dan insisted that he did not play the Fireside Bowl. So my memory is probably wrong. But one of my first shows was Noise Gate and Jalapaz and someone else. And one of my other first noise shows was KK Null and a couple other people. But that also might have been the same show. That it might have been KK Null and Noisegate. I really can't remember. But Dan, you're standing by that you never played with Noisegate in Chicago. Can we get? Is that for the record? No, that is not for the record. It's for the record that I don't remember. I'm someday going to get to the bottom of this because actually, also confusingly, when we interviewed Zome, he was listed on one of those shows, but he was not actually at the show. Someone else played as Zome. So my first noise shows in Chicago are incredibly confusing to me. Uh, but all right, the confusion just, uh, and ambiguity you, of noise shows, like yeah, it's, especially it's been like fantastic. back then, it would have been ninety eight. Yeah. You know, I was eighteen, so uh-huh. it would have been like way back then. Yeah, and and so I do, I conflate a lot of that. But all right, look, hazy. Uh, someday I'm well, going to get to the bottom we, of all this. It's great to get to the bottom of the stuff, but we we are all appreciators of ambiguity, right? So, oh, and I, I say, well, you you get. You should try and find Trevor, you know, with for Noisegate uh, and interview him. I mean, he's, you know, he he made it kind of, he said, like, had been exhibiting stuff in museums, like, like really big blow ups of Area 51. Like he's been, he, I mean, this was, I, it was in San Francisco at the Museum of Modern Art. And there's Trevor's picture, you know, I mean, like really wow. blown up. Like he like went on the outskirts of Area 51 and was photographing from afar. And, and exhibiting that stuff. And then I ran into him in Spain. I was on tour. The only time I've ever been to Spain, three shows in Spain. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at this. There's Trevor doing a lecture. <laughs> so we ran into each other. But I bet I bet I did do that show with him because that's where I met him in Chicago. And he built that website for me while he was living in Chicago. And then he moved, I think, to San Francisco. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if I did play with them in Chicago because we hooked up somehow. We've talked about uh, a couple of do. his books on the show before, actually. Blank Spots on the Map, which is the, the dark geography of the Pentagon's secret world, right? Which is these things that, like okay. what you're saying, Area 51, these types of spaces, which uh, he wrote an entire book about. And there's also the I Could Tell You, But Then You'd Have to Be Destroyed by Me, which are like uh, patches from secret organizations within the government and military. So very interesting yeah. stuff. Uh, also coming from yeah, yeah, someone who sure. was uh, making... Uh-huh experimental noise music and noise gate you know right right we'll, we'll, ha- we'll name have to too. have him noise on. gate oh yeah oh, but, but yeah. a funny We're coincidence that the last that. time i played with them was i went on a small tour with them and we uh we, we played in la it's like the last show there's some video of that and that's that's coming it's uh, i processed it it's kind of fun I, I forget where it was where the show was um but uh yeah i have some video of that one and uh we'll be, i'll be putting that up there on the on the YouTube channel, my last awesome. my last performance in LA, which I don't know, I guess when was that? Two thousand five, two thousand three. I don't know. <laughs> Before our time in LA, well, I want to go back because you have talked about just this wide range of sound that you're interested in, music you're interested in, and yeah, like you said, the especially a lot of those early Illusion of Safety releases it goes so many different places. You think you might be settled in to one zone and then all of a sudden you're just, the rug gets pulled and you're thrown in this other zone. 
was that something that you were you you enjoyed the maybe lack of expectation if someone has an expectation you're gonna take it away from them and is that something that just was inside you when you started the project and something you wanted to do in those releases a good question so i mean that's my doing of course none of the other guys they <laughs> i don't think they ever gave me flack for what you know i was kind of you know i put in on all the work it, you know i mean they would be there for making the sounds and stuff but you know it, it became my project and my choice on what what was going to be presented and you know for better or worse like so you know i'm i'm a let's see what is uh iconoclast that's a recent discovery word that someone <laughs> threw at me um uh, uh there's another one too it means you like to poke people <laughs> uh um it's that's there i mean you know that's been there a long time like like wanting to provoke people like so when i was getting into experimental music when i was at at school i would play it like you know when, in groups of people like torturing them you know i mean now i'm cringing like i i would never do that i mean it was it was cruel you know playing like you know fred frith to like a busload of of co normal college students right you know i it was you know and illusion of safety shows you know I was notorious for a while for playing the music that I love before the shows, Frank Sinatra, Sergio Mendez in Brazil 66, <laughs> Burt Backrack, whatever, anything that Sounds wasn't awesome. in the genre of experimental music. And, you know, I'd start to get some flack from people. Dan, why are you playing this music that we hate before your shows? And that's probably like why the audiences in Chicago started to dwindle. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons. Um, but, you know, I just said, to, I just said, I was just talking to Scott generic and mentioning how the year I went to Burning Man, 2000, the year of the body, great week. One of the, best weeks of my life but the week my whole life when i decided to go straight like i stopped smoking pot didn't do any drugs while i was there i'm like what the hell like i really missed the boat you know and he's like but well, you were being a rebel you were like you were being going against the grain and you know that's it's okay he nailed it you know we would go to some punk shows you know and the punks are all dressed in their all in their uniform their white t-shirt all going around the circle and, the, and we're going in the circle the other way slamming into them and i i cannot believe we didn't get beat up I mean, I really can't. This was an illusion of safety show. Uh, and, and there was like some punk bands. It was probably like, now I can't even remember, but I mean, we're talking late eighties. It was probably some big band, but anyway, yeah, we're, we're like slamming into the punks going the opposite direction in the circle, you know? So that's kind of been my way. You know, I'm, I'm over, I'm over that quite a bit now. I'm, you know, I'm 64 and I'm, you know, I'm settled down a little. I don't really, I don't really want to provoke people. So, I mean, I still want to provoke people. You know, maybe of course, of but, course. I'm, but I'm quelling that, you know, I'm quelling that because I would rather make people feel good. I mean, I, you know, it's, I'd, ra I'm, I'd rather make someone's day than piss someone off. You know, it's just, that that's really the end of it. So the music though, like, I mean, yeah. So, you know, my music, you know, how so many of those things, the seven inches, each record starts off with this thing and all of a sudden, like within 10 seconds, right? It pulls the rug out from under your slams. I mean, at some point, I was like, I really have to stop doing that. Like, there's no reason to do that right at the beginning of the thing. Like, but, you know, maybe somewhere in there, you know, and I mean, so some places it's really brutal, like in historical with auto protect. That one is like really, that really could ruin your, your hearing. It just blasts in so much. And, you know, a lot of reputation for that, like serious volume and, and 
you know, people running from the room. We used to do this piece called Tone Line when we were the main core, all four of us just doing this one tone. It was very White House, you know, it was like pretty, pretty searing and and magical, you know, especially in the right PA or like you'd turn your head and, you know, you'd get the the waves happening. I mean, it's part of, mm. this, the, of this stuff is the physicality of it, right? Like how how it feels on your body and, and what it's doing to your ears, like Marianne Amache, you know, if you've ever seen that stuff presented and with a real, in a quad system or something, it's like, it's, it's inside your head, the sound and, you know, all of that stuff is of interest to me, you know, the psychoacoustics and the physicality and the psychology. I mean, the titles, I mean, I, I have fun just picking out the titles of things just to like provoke some kind of thought. I mean, psych- I, I took psychology when I was at, at Northern because I needed therapy. I mean, I really missed the boat. I took art my last year in high school, my last year in college, five years of free education. I got a psychology BA. What a waste. I mean, I really <laughs> should have been doing something art. You know, I needed therapy and art's the best therapy in the world. So right when I graduated college, I start doing, you know, illusion of safety and noise music, you know, and there was my therapy and it, it took a long time for it to work. Um, but actually has worked quite in the last few years as guided meditations, but that's, that's a whole nother story. So your question was a good one. I want to go back to it. You're, you're saying about pulling the rug out from people and in the compositional, there were some other aspects to that question I've kind of lost track of, but I, so I wanted to present different. I never wanted, it's because I'm a little, a little ADD, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little high strung. And I, when I took my mom, my mom passed away two years ago, really miss my mom. I was really starting to get close to her. But she was starting to get a little cognitive funky and I took her for a test. She finally agreed to go. And I took one myself because I was really curious where my head was at. And, you know, they come out. It's like my my I'm too fast up here. And that's my problem. Like I'm too far ahead of things to pay attention to people, to too many ideas happening to like bring them to fruition. You talk about how maybe only recently or in recent years you accepted the idea of drone and, and maybe not doing the going all different places but a release that we really that really hit us this week does it pull the rug and it in a way does feel like you were a little more patient with it and that would be of and the that release feels a lot more patient and when you settle in for a 20 minute mm-hmm. track you're about in that you know not that it's mm-hmm. exactly you know, the same for the old time, but you're, you're in that zone. It's not as rug pulling. Do you recall making that? And was that an intention of that album? So yeah, that, it brings up a really good point of, about how like, so I've gone through the history and seeing like, okay, where did I, where I took over illusion of safety and where things started getting schizophrenic. And then you go back to stuff that's like group work, which is really the best or the work that's me and another guy. Jim Probe is Jim and I. We worked really yeah. hard and long on that. I mean, that's 50-50. That is, I mean, and that's pre-Oven The, but it's got that same feeling. They're, they're four tracks really long. Yeah. They've got that trajectory. Um, so Oven The is Mark and I, Mark Klein, who is one of the main core guys. So we decided to do a record together. And so that's his influence. He, he you know, he... So I get quelled. I got quelled by Jim on Probe. I get quelled by him on on Oven The and Mort of Ash is Kurt Grish and I. We went we we went to Europe on tour in '95. We did the Fin de Sequel, if you know that. So that's Kurt and I. And then and then we when we were in in Amsterdam, we recorded at the VPRO. We recorded the, that first Mort of Ash record. So those are very different because it's me and another guy, 
you know, and I'm reining in my tendencies and, you know, thank God, you know, we, we all need some kind of boundaries. I didn't have any, you know, and it's great to have, it's great to work with somebody, you know, I mean, it's hard to work with somebody too. I've, I've, you know, it's always been a challenge. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it now. I've, you know, I'm in a different place, but uh, other than those, Mark and I, and Mark was really into the, the, the ambient thing, you know, the, he had, he had the, so we were, you know, our music was also really driven by our tech, what we were using at the time. So those really early shows are variable speed cassette decks from Radio Shack run through 7.6 or 3.6 second uh, loop uh, delays that had a looping function um, and some prepared guitar kind of stuff, open mic stuff. And then, and then prettier and then synthesizer, a Moog or something. So effects, you know, playing with effects, the noise of effects, the noise of a quarter of the, you know, 60 cycle, 50 cycle hum of a chord, just hanging through the effect. That's early stuff. And then, you know, and then Chris gets the Mirage. I held out for about a year before I bought the first commercial sampler available, uh, the Ensonic Mirage, and I still have it. It still works, and it sounds great. It's 8-bit. Oh, wow. It's got a real character. And so there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of new stuff that's old stuff coming. I mean, I have the Emacs. That's a lot of the stuff. We we made all those records on for Probe and and through, like, well, yeah, those those years, 90, 95, 96, 97, and those samples that that Emacs sampler 12 bit also works. So there's a lot of that old stuff, you know, ready to be w- reworked again. So we really like hooked on a certain thing. So Mark had his guitar, Evo, you know, that was part of his sound. And he also had a uh, Roland, or no, the, um, it was an, it was a different Ensonic, uh keyboard uh, synthesizer. So, and then, and then there's field recordings because Jim and I, in 92, we bought, we bought the TAC field recorders with the, with the, 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 uh, that stereo microphone. We both had one and that stuff's all over probe. That's like our, as soon as we got that, you know, that everything became recording field recordings and it, it's still, there isn't one release, even these new ones from the last couple of years where I'm not using a lot of location field recordings. It's really a part the environmental thing is a part of it. Whenever I've toured, I record where I'm at and try and use those recordings in the show that night. Or when I come back around, it's, you know, that sense of place is it's kind of kind of cool to play with. Um, so with Mark and I, it was it was very intentional. Mark wanted to do this this dark ambient record. And so we were we it was a 50-50 thing. And that's why that record sounds like that. It was really Mark's doing and his photography, his close-up photography. He was a commercial photographer and ended up making commercials, uh, TV commercials in Chicago, had his own studio, um, making like people would come from Europe to make commercials with him. He was a great photographer and then a great filmmaker, commercial filmmaker for commercials. Get wow. get big, like, you know, big accounts like uh, Dairy Queen. They'd have to like, they'd carve like some of the stories, like they'd carve a, they'd have a block of ice, like eight feet by eight feet and they'd carve it into something. And then there's, then they'd have to shoot the thing because those lights, right. Are melting everything, chocolate mountains or Coors cans, like firing up out of a, out of a, you know, chocolate so that they'd have to like light these things and then film it like you know thousand frames a second to get these these shots anyway those are his pictures so that's why that looks that way as well the, the problem with that cd it's my favorite my favorite track on there uh i let it get mastered by charles at soleil moon he put out that one and also um bad karma the one that came out right after it and i let him master that and i didn't listen to it and that has never happened again. The one track, my favorite track, is distorted, and you won't find that on the digital files now on Bandcamp. But 
and maybe no one had ever even noticed it, but I'm pretty picky, <laughs> you know, um, uh, at least with my own stuff. And, and that distortion just, I didn't, I stopped listening to the record, <laughs> you know, kind of st- threw the baby out with the bathwater on that one. Like cancer, I threw it out because there was 27 indexes and I never gave it a chance. But, you know, there's only so much time. You can't go back. Jim work. one of his favorite quotes for me was, I don't listen to my own music, Dan. It's like looking at my own vomit. I mean, he told, he said that to me in like ninety two. I think he was. I think he was giving me a clue. He also gave me another clue. He's like, Dan, if you ever want, you ever want to do new age music, just play all the black keys. Yeah. There you go. Toss it. Words of wisdom from Jim. Don't tell him I said that. Dan, have but, you? Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Has your antagonistic nature ever gotten you in uh, some tricky situations, like when playing live or anything? No, no, kidding, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't answer that. I didn't answer that emphatically enough. No way. Are you kidding? <laughs> Let's see. Let me. Let me. You, you want to. You want to hear about one? I gather. Oh, or or um, ten, sure. <laughs> so, uh, crash worship came. So they came to Chicago three times. Four times I played with them. Three of those times, and one time was at this gallery, nice gallery, not a good choice. Um, they were not happy at the end. There were some burns on the nice floor, and anyway, illusion of safety opened for them. We did tone line, we did that piercing piece, and then the sound guy pulled my sound down, and I I went up to him and I I I'm not sure what I said or did. I didn't hit him. Um, I may have just glared at him, but I probably said something. But uh, it was it was pretty tense. Um, I mean that that happened a few. The volume thing happened a few times. I burned some bridges with that. Probably the one with Jim. <laughs> um, the volume thing was was often often an issue. I, I you know and, and later every chance I got I I will play in front of the PA every chance I got in the main floor like in front of the PA. I'd like to face the PA, but that's a little weird. But but that is the best because. Every time I play, whether I go sit down at the piano or do a show or I'm making, constructing, I'm trying to enjoy the moment. Like, I want to feel it. I want to, I'm listening. I want, I mean, it's as much for me, that moment at that show, as it's for the audience. I mean, it's equal. I mean, and that's another thing Ray kept teaching me about the piano thing. Whenever you play, it's all about your intention. I mean, you can do anything, you know, see Taylor, you can be making the, but if your intention is there and you're, and you're, and you're really with it, like, you, I mean, and, you know, and there's been a lot of quotes about that, right? You can't play at the audience. David Bowie said it. And, you know, I mean, there's something to like having some respect for your audience, you know, who you're playing to, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do illusion of safety show at the local open mic over here, you know, but, mm-hmm. but still, so I'm listening and, and being in front of the PA, I mean, I know exactly how loud to make it. I mean, I don't want it to be too loud, but I want to hit that standing wave in the room if I can, you know, where it's like right on the border of like, like heaven you know, and it's it's happened a few times that the time I uh, time I opened for uh, Negative Land asked me if I opened for them in Chicago was the ninety five no two thousand five and ten years ago or something. And I was played in front of the PA. I hit the standing wave in that room, and it's a weird room. It's the empty bottle. It's a very like L shaped thing. Mm-hmm. It's the cap tweak and the levels up, and all of a sudden it was that it was just like enveloping, you know, and it that's. That's really great. So, I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, things changed over those just four decades there. You know, at some point I, I, did, I did not have enough respect for anybody. 
anybody, my mother, people in the audience, myself, you know, things have changed. So volume is, you know, got to be careful with those, those frequencies and, and sounds. Um, yeah, I can't really think of any other examples, but I'm sure there are some. <laughs> uh, yeah. All of us at the podcast love the empty bottle. Just a great, great PA. And yes, yeah, a weird room, but yeah. it just, yeah. It was always a good time to perform there and, and to see shows mm-hmm. there and stuff. So definitely seen and heard some uh, some powerful, powerful stuff on that PA. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a good PA. Yeah, Bruce Gilbert played there one year. That was surprisingly noisy. I mean, Dome. I mean, come on, you you know those records, right? Those Dome records <laughs> that also yeah. kind of... Mm-hmm. I was so freaked out. I loved Wire, you know? All of a sudden, there's what is this? And it's like, wow, you know, it was like when I had the Hafler Trio hit. It was like another, like a new, another new form of music, you know. And now listening to it, it's you know just bass and guitar with that Eric Fryer that that, that production, right? It's like so, you know, whatever that 4AD thing was. That was what a great label too. I mean, those early 4AD records, jeez, that stuff was so good. But yeah, he he came through. He played the Empty Bottle. I saw Bruce Gilbert. That was really loud, <laughs> really intense. <laughs> So one thing I do want to ask back more into your early days, because it's a club that, you know, we heard Jim talk about, we've heard Chicago people talk about, but, you know, before my time, obviously I was, I was a very, very young lad. What was the lower links like? And, and, and how, you know, I'm sure you saw a bunch of shows there. It's sort of a legendary club in a way. Just what was the atmosphere and vibe of that place? Like that was, Undoubtedly my favorite place ever in Chicago, maybe anywhere to play. I mean, but just because it was personal. So Lee, the woman who owned it was just really kind, you know, and put on anything. Programming was really good. The place was, so there was an upper links, which was more like a, uh, so two story building, lower links was in the basement, upper links at the top. And, uh, so some shows went up there, you know, but it was like uh, open space all going by the window and more of a, you know, hardwood floor. Um, lower links was a bar and she painted it all black. So it was like, it was super claustrophobic and inviting and, and intimate and, and just enveloped you like walking down those stairs, you know, it was like, it was just so great to be in there. The place was cool. Right. So, uh, they just good people that Lee was great. Everybody, Douglas, uh, so I ended up doing a lot of shows, Douglas, so Walker, worked there and he was with Spencer Sundell. They were Trond and Shaman in Chicago for some years. And then we, we worked together um, as solid state for a little while. Uh, we actually opened for crash worship as solid state with, with Jim. And uh, so he was just really nice people. Spencer, I think Spencer worked out. Spencer's in Seattle now. And uh, so good people, great, you know, great vibe, really great programming. I mean, Soviet France and Burbanese quark and, Halfer Trio and I mean anything anything was allowed there. It was just it was just a cool place. The people were great and it just felt really good. You know, being all all black really helps. <laughs> I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was it was painted black. It was it was so cool. It was just you know down in a basement and and the best atmosphere and the best people and great programming. So yeah, I played there many times. Maybe <laughs> I should look at the list. There is a list out there. Showing the, uh, I just posted it on the Instagram or the Facebook page. It shows, I think, the first ten years of performances and, and who, the, the personnel. So there's there's a little little key on there. So that 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 stuff's out on there. You can see who who did what shows. So 
I'm really looking forward to going through these tapes that I found. I mean, there's some stuff of me, Jim, and, and Mark right around that time of, of, of you know, Probe and, and Oven The. So that's likely to be really good. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff from like 83 through 90, 96, 97, which is kind of where I want to focus. I actually kind of, you know, wanted, wanting to go back to that sound. I mean, if you know the last couple of releases I've put out, they're a little bit more coherent and a little bit more old illusion of safety, old school. And that's kind of where I wanted to go back with the project is to get back to that sound, um, you know, get away. I mean, there's other, there's other options to do other kinds of music. And, and I'd like to kind of go back to a little bit more of a pure, pure uni, unified vision for illusion of safety. So quite excited to go back to those tapes. They, you know, some of the ones I've heard sound really good, a little bit of a little bit of EQ and compression. And it's like, it's, it's worthy of a record that that thing I heard from from eighty three me me Mitch and and Jay, it's you know very like TG second annual report kind of sound and it sounds really good. I mean I'm I'm hoping someone would want to put that out as a record. I hate to have to do that myself, but hate to have to just put it on Bandcamp. But it's gonna come out for sure. There. Yep, Lower Links, one of the best places in Chicago. Good one. That's so killer. And you've been mentioning an open mic spot around your, where you're living right now that you've been doing stuff there. And you, you mentioned it's pretty different from what we may think of as your work. Has anyone gone knowing that it was you or has anyone been like, wait, are your, your illusion of safety, right? Cause you said it's pretty, it's totally different from illusion of safety if I'm not mistaken. Oh Yeah. Yeah, nothing. Collusion <laughs> of safety. No, I would not present. No, n nobody knows who I am. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. There. I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many people know who illusion of safety is. Really, you know. I mean, uh, I know we. we I mean, get, we you, get, you know we what get, I mean. Yeah, we uh, get pretty. Uh, you know, for us, everything is. It's like, of course, classic, legendary, yes. but you know, yeah. obviously, the people in the suburbs might not. But hey, yeah, I was once a kid yeah. in the suburbs, exactly. and I knew. You know, you never know who's right, out there. Right. You know, like you never know who's out there. Right. Right, right. No, no, no crossover there. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little weird for me because I, you know, I want to throw a little wrench in there. I mean, my singer songwriter stuff, it's, you know, there's some dissonances in there and then there's going to be, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to limit it. I don't, I don't care if it's as, as pretty as, you know, if it sounds like Burt Backrack. I mean, I don't, I don't care. I just want to make music and I, and I'm, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, the problem is like, I, I shouldn't be presenting that music to you or, you know, to your audience. Right. It's like, I just, I don't, I don't want to like push my stuff that has no, you know, no, I mean, people are, a lot of people are pretty forgiving. I mean, you, you like, you, you know, maybe you would like this stuff because you like Burt Backrack. So I should not limit things, but, but it's a problem for me in my head. Like, I feel like I need to make these projects separate. I need to not push, you know, the kind of music, you know, one kind of music on, on an, on an unsuspecting audience or, or just try and get, people to listen to my ambient guitar music who might want the singer. So, you know, it's a little confusing for me. <laughs> It'll work itself out, but no, no crossover there. I, I'm not going to present illusion of safety at a, at an open mic where people are like doing the singer songwriter thing, simple acoustic. My, my, my presentation with my songs is weird enough. And, and there are a few of them up there on my personal YouTube page. If you want to want to see what they're like, I, I just put one up yesterday. So I've been doing this, uh, disquiet Hunto. Do you know, uh, Mark Wiedelbaum, the disquiet, uh, platform he so he's he wrote 
He wrote one of those 33 and a third books yeah. about Aphex Twin. He's really into ambient music. And oh, he's been cool. doing, uh, for 10 years, he's been doing this weekly assignment of musical projects. And I joined up about a year ago and I've been doing a bunch of them. And they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're so, like, it's real simple. Like, uh, you know, one of them is make a piece of music with this this sample or make a piece of music that only uses field recordings or last week's was make a piece of music that's 50% silence. This week's was make a piece of music that's 75% silence. So I, yesterday I sat down at the piano and I, this, my second, my second composition, I, I have this poet I've been working with locally. I feed her a line. She checks with her muse, muse gets back to her and she sends me the poem. And then I adapt it into a song and I've got one. It's called Companionable. And there's a few versions up on my personal YouTube page if you want to hear it. But the one I did yesterday, I sat down and did a 13-minute version and milked it for as much silence as I could and, and posted it on, on the disquiet thing. Um, it is what it is. It's 13 minutes of, of this one song with a lot of silence in it. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so you can get a feel for where I'm headed with my, my singer-songwriter stuff. Although it's going to sound like like that, or, or it might sound a lot like Tim Jones. Do you know Do you know Tim Jones' solo work from True Accident? He's got a record called no. Career Move, piano and voice. Uh, he's got a, a, a CD called While. It's piano. It's almost like Philip Glass, uh, Steve Reich. It's all busy piano. It's really wonderful if you like kind of experimental piano music. Um, but if if you if you if you like the singer songwriter thing, his album Career Move is is a big influence on me. I mean, I can't help but sound like Tim sometimes. He's and I lived with him for like a decade. Tim's really close to me. I mean, I I love the guy. You know, we've done a lot of music together. He was part of Illusion of Safety for many years. I toured with Cheer Accident. I went to Europe with them uh, in 2010. Was part of Cheer Accident for a little bit, doing laptop stuff. That went over a bit like a lead balloon here and there. <laughs> People, it was a little. It was a. It was a little strange, you know. For anyone listening who wants to keep up with what you're doing. What is the best way to follow Illusion of Safety? Is it the band camp? What is the preferred method of staying in touch and keeping up with your work? For, for Illusion of Safety, you know, Facebook and Instagram, I'm posting pretty much daily something. So there's always some kind of link to something going on, including like a teaser video or something that'll link to my the YouTube. So the, the YouTube channel, there's, there's, there's a new video happening every month, once a month. Um, the Bandcamp, I have a subscription series now and I'm, I'm doing a subscriber exclusive every month. That's at least 10 minutes of, of otherwise unavailable material, new or old. Um, and also with that, with that subscription, you get everything, all the digital files of all 40, some releases, including the the box set of 10 cassettes that's coming out. It's an edition of 40. So I should mention Arvo, Arvo Zylo of uh, um, No Part of It. So because of him, uh, he, he put out my last CD in 2015, and that's when I was going to call it quits. I, I had a show in 2015 with Mitch, surprisingly enough, one of my first collaborators. And that was going to be it. I was kind of thinking, you know, I'm going to leave Illusion of Safety behind and move on to other things. And Arvo put out the, that CD called Surrender. And... Um, and then, so years later, uh, I guess, what are we talking, three years ago now, four years ago, I went to submit a piece to Philippe Petit, Petit who is uh, the Modulism Forum, and I wanted to do it, uh, it's a Buchla piece, synthesizer piece, and I wanted to do it as Sound of Error, which is my other moniker. I have a Sound of Error YouTube page, which is mostly 
the videos I make for other projects and my projects, but other music projects, some rock videos. And I, I'm very interested in doing more video work. I love editing video. Um, and my rates are cheap. If anyone's looking for some videos in the style of what you'd find at the YouTube page, Sound of Error, um, I'm, I'm open to it, but I'd have to love the music. Um, but as music, Sound of Error is like the synth stuff. So I have a, I have a Sound of Error Bandcamp page, and that's strictly synthesis stuff, all synthesizer, electronic, uh, none of the baggage of illusion of safety. And um, I presented this piece to Philip, uh, Philippe as, as Sound of Error, and he's kind of like, Dan, do you mind if we do it as illusion of safety? I've been such a fan for so many years. And I was like, okay, why not? You know, I was kind of like done with it. I was going to like, why not call it that? There's plenty of synth music on illusion of safety releases. So, so that kind of rebirthed my interest in, in bringing illusion of safety back. And at the same time, Arvo was begging me for that Zev record that had been done for 10 years and just sitting on, in my files. I mean, it was done 10 years before and just uh, Zev was going to like try and get it to happen. And we lost touch and then he passed away. So it was just sitting there. So Arvo pushed. So between Philippe and Arvo, Illusion of Safety is back, thanks to them. Um, I did that Oregon Choir drone uh, cassette um, CD release with with no part of it just a, a few months ago. And uh, we're going to do some more work together. He's doing a lot of great stuff with his label, no part of it. Leslie Kiefer and Sharky Face, uh, Dave Phillips. It's really, really great stuff. You should interview Arvo. He's He's been into the noise scene for a while and doing really great work. Um, but... Uh, I'm, I'm branching off. So we were talking about, so where to find out. So Bandcamp, there are my links for, for the YouTube pages and uh, the, there is Illusion of Safety website. I don't really keep it up. So YouTube, I mean, the Bandcamp is like pretty current with music for music uh, in terms of keeping up with the band, but the Instagram and the Facebook page for like keeping up with shows, tours, upcoming uh, historical stuff, information about uh, releases is probably a good a good place there's us there's a link tree there that's got the links uh to all the the specific illusion of safety sites and and then i'll mention if anyone's interested in my other music i have a excuse me a soundcloud page the soundcloud page is either a sound of error or berserk b-z-u-r-k-e and that has got that is everything so those are experiments so, so there's illusion of safety tracks there there's sound of error tracks there's there's my solo material there's all the pieces i've been doing for the disquiet Punto on there. Um, it's kind of everything. It's kind of like where I put the more experimental stuff and things I'm working on now. So it kind of covers the gamut of most of the kinds of music I'm working on. And then I do have a Bandcamp page, uh, Daniel James Burke, my full name, uh, which has got my solo record, which I finished 12 years ago and never put out uh, for various reasons. But I finally listened to it again and thought, why not? It's worth being out there so it's sitting it's sitting up there on Bandcamp, and then there's some other releases i did a project called total sound with chris block formerly of cheer accident uh he has a project called pox which is really good prog kind of stuff so we worked together a couple years did a few live shows it's kind of a little bit like future sound of london kind of stuff really groovy he plays chapman stick i'm playing samples and some guitar and bass and uh, so there's there's a total sound record up there and then also my tertium quid record again from 12 years ago the guys from seattle bill horist and dave abramson but that's available now on my my personal band camp daniel james burke and and then there's yeah there's so there's links to the youtube the the illusion of safety youtube again some interesting nuggets coming up there the really old stuff mostly so far 
and then there's there's a few new pieces again i i love making video uh, editing video i use final cut pro and this program called um studio artist that's an animation program does a lot of time domain uh smearing uh a lot of layering so it's really it's really i love I, collage has been my thing i mean you know my music i mean that that's that's been what i do with my art whether it's audio art moving audio or moving pictures or or 2d you know it's it's collage a lot of those covers cut and paste you know rules of the game that one one of my favorite i finally sold that piece on Bandcamp. the original rules of the game cover those are some national geographic cut cutouts from 19 1994 pasted together nothing like cutting and pasting it's a lot of fun and it's what i've been what i've been doing with audio moving in a different way now but that's 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 everything. Thanks for asking. Heck yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan, awesome. this was awesome. What a cool conversation. Yes. Great history and looking forward to the future. So everyone make sure to follow Dan however you can keep up with what's going on and look back into the past. There's so much, there's a wealth of stuff and as it sounds like a wealth of stuff that's going to keep coming out. So Dan, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time to do this. This thank was you. really cool. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.